In today's episode of Revival Podcast, we're looking at the connection between revival and the poor. As I look through history, it feels like God has moved significantly in power, but it's impacted the poor. And I'm delighted to be joined by Nicola Neal, who's on our senior team at All Nations, but also leads Every Life International. Well, I've been looking forward to this uh, program and very excited to talk to my guest today, Nicola Neal, about what God has been saying to her about revival, what her thinking is, some of her story and encounters. And so Nicola, I'm so excited that you're joining me today. Thank you for making space and time to be able to record this with me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be part today. Oh, bless you. I, I was reflecting on some of your journey and thinking you, you, yourself and Simon have pastored here in the UK. You've been missionaries in Africa. You've been a part of large gatherings, uh, both leading those, speaking at those and kind of experiencing what God's doing. And that's just three of the things. I'm sure there's many others. Um, and, and one of the key things for me, uh, I guess, is your story um, about the organization Every Life that you founded, that you lead. And it, I, just as means of introduction, would you mind just sharing with us, you, you were pastoring in Bath and then you end up in another part of the world. I would love just our, our listeners to learn a little bit about that journey, how you got there, what happened, what God said. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a big story and it was a big journey, but I'll try and keep it kind of concise. Um, there's two parts to it, really. My, we were tracking along very normally in life. My husband was working in IT. I was a full-time mum. And uh, we went through a season back in 2000, about three months, actually, of the Lord breaking into our world in many different ways through dreams and encounters and the prophetic, just talking to us about a call on our lives to serve the poor. And we began to explore different ways that that would unfold. And, and we kind of journeyed through that for about another eight years. Part of that right back then, this is in year 2000, was to do with uh, the developing world and, and giving some of our lives over to serving particularly the continent of Africa. And then I think it was September 2008. So we'd been in church leadership then for about eight years as you said, in a, a beautiful church in the city of Bath, which is obviously a beautiful place to live in too. We began to, in the September, get another kind of mini experience like we'd had back in 2000, but this time it was kind of compacted into about three weeks, not three months. But we began to receive prophetic words literally from all over the world. We, um, we had various dreams, encounters, I would say visitations that took place over that time. And everything really was kind of shouting at us. It's time to, to give Africa um, a season in our life. So having experienced all of that, I mean, there's a, so many crazy stories I could tell you that we don't have time to go into. But in the December of 2008, sort of early December, we sat down with um, the guy who we co-led the church with, shared with him what the Lord had been saying to us with regards to Africa and asked him, if we could go for two weeks because we'd never been to the continent. We had no idea what Africa was like. It's obviously a huge, diverse continent. Um, but I, I had this very strong sense that our feet needed to stand on African soil. And when they did, the Lord was going to speak about the next season of our life. 
So we laid it all out there for him and... Uh, I'll just pa pause it. Is it. Two things that stand out to me, and I'm going to let you finish. One is how much prophetic leading of the spirit dreams seem to have directed your life. So I'm going to get back to your story in a second, but um, just to make a comment for me, it feels like even for ourselves getting to know each other over the last year, Esther, my wife, yourself, and a few of us, it feels like that same journey of dreams, the prophetic and the quickening of scripture uh, some of those watching today or listening to this podcast, those realities may not be as common. Um, so maybe just a comment. Are, are they normal? Should we expect them? Is this for everybody to be led by God this way? So that's a really interesting question. I think it's uh, it's available to all of us. Yes, I, uh, my conviction is that just as he spoke through the stories we can read in scripture, God still speaks today. And so we should be expectant to hear him speak through dreams, through visions, through visitations, angelic encounters, and all of those sorts of things. I think some of us are almost spiritually wired that way. And maybe it's part of the gifting that God has given us. And so maybe we hear that way or we see that way more. But I, I do believe it's available to all of us. I think it's about learning to train ourselves in how to hear the voice of God and recognize when he's speaking. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with that 100%. And I would say uh, both our own experience, like you're saying, can help us if we're gifted that way. Even if we're not got great gifting that way, every believer should be listening and hearing and being led. But it also highlights the importance of relationships with others so that the others who are gifted and we're in friendship with, that they together with us, we're kind of seeking the mind of God. And reminded in Acts 15, I think there's a phrase, it said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit and this sense of community together, discerning the will of God as they move forward. So, and the other thing that you said that I thought that's interesting, that you didn't have a complete picture about uh, what was gonna happen in Africa. And I, I obviously know more of this story and others are just about to hear it, but that you, you had this sense of you, you've got to get over there and you're gonna put your feet on the soil. And it just, I've heard so many people recently say, we don't know step two, three, four, but we do know that the Lord is really urging us to do this step one first. And if we do that, it'll come clear, but there's kind of risk in that. There's, so yeah, so I appreciate you saying it. I'm just kind of, I, I think that's gonna become more common for people. And you don't see the whole picture, but you know that the Lord is saying, you take the first step, I'll give you the second step as that moves along. And maybe just say something about that. And then I'm, I'd love for you to finish up the story that you've started. Yeah, I think that's so true. And that scripture, you know, it feels good to us in the Holy Spirit as well, and that we've come back to time and time again, because I think particularly when you're making big life decisions based on prophetic senses, and like you say, the quickening of scripture, it's so important that we make those decisions in community with other believers and seeking their wisdom and their hearing of what God is saying at the same time, because it is very risky. And often, yeah. well, my experience is often the Lord only shows you the first step. And I think our job isn't to see the whole picture sometimes. Our job is obedience and to say yes to the Lord and trust his leading. But in all of that, we really do need the wise counsel of the Holy Spirit and, and those who are around us whom we really seek and trust. Yeah, yeah, very, very good, very, very good. So your feet have landed 
or you've been told and you're on your way to Africa or something. So if you pick up the story again, that would be great. So we, we had this meeting with the guy who was um, the senior lead at the church, laid it all out to him. He listened and, and he, we didn't know. I, I'm not really sure how we didn't know this. It seems very strange to me now when I think back on it. But he sat there and he said, this is undeniably Jesus. I, I, you know, I don't have any question about that, but you'll learn nothing. Because we were asking to go for like a two-week mission trip, you know. He was saying to us, you'll learn nothing in two weeks. I think you just need to move there. I mean, that wasn't even on our radar. We had two small children, you know, a house, a mortgage. We were full-time staff in the church, which we loved in a city that we adored. And that, that just felt very, very crazy to us. But then he went on to say, and this is what we, we didn't know, that he was actually leaving for Africa that afternoon. He was flying to Uganda. Um, and so he said to us in the meeting, I'm leaving for Heathrow Airport in one hour. So that's basically how long I'm going to give you to make your decision. And if you're happy to just move there, when I arrive in Uganda tomorrow morning, it's a good place as any to start. I'll find you a house. Wow. <laughs> he was just like, what? <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I, I'm, I guess in my marriage, I'm the more kind of prophetic, spontaneous one. And my husband is like this, this kind of strong, steady, consistent, slow moving one. And we counterbalance each other out really well. Anyway, we went for a coffee, went to Starbucks and, and sat there. We didn't speak the whole walk up there. We didn't speak when we ordered our coffee. We just sat down in silence. And in my head, I'm thinking, there's no way that Simon is going to make such a massive life decision in a short moment of time. So I kind of just sat back thinking it was all going to be fine. I didn't need to freak out about it. And it was about 30 minutes into our coffee that he just looked up and he just looked me straight in the eye and said, baby, this is Jesus and we need to move. And we moved um, about eight to 10 weeks later. Well, so so that's having never been to Africa, am I correct? Yeah. And so you suddenly make the decision to move within like eight weeks, you're there. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. It, it, it's the way I say, this is not the way to do mission. You know, I mean, this is not yeah. mission training 101. It, it's a, it was a very unusual route, but it was the Lord's route for us. And, you know, it, it was scary and exciting and all of those things and in between. Yeah, fantastic. So in uh, maybe a minute and a half, what does every life look like now? Uh, obviously, it wasn't every life then. Um, it's now got a name and it's, it's, a, it's a family or an organization. So what does that look like now? Yeah, I mean, it's grown really very fast. It was obviously just my husband, myself and our two small children, plus a young guy who came as an intern. Um, we now have a missions-based hub in Uganda where we have quite a lot of full-time staff there running various projects and um, planting churches in the slum communities in Kampala City. Um, we are also just opened an office in Kasumu City doing a similar thing, doing community projects, development-type-based projects alongside church planting. Um, we're now exploring into Rwanda and the Congo and other areas too. So, uh, yeah, it's grown very quickly. The Lord was and has been and still is extraordinarily kind and takes us by surprise constantly. But yeah, wow. it's been an amazing journey. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, I would love to dig into all of that, but our subject today is revival. But I just wanted people to know a little bit about yourself 
and what you've been involved in, how you lived out there. How, how many years did you actually live in uh, Uganda? Six years. Six yeah. years. Wow. Um, so that's not bad for having made a decision within a short period of time and then you're there. Just one, I, I know you may not answer this the way that I think you're going to, um, but one of your reasons for coming back to the UK was something that the Lord said to you about what was coming to the UK. So would you share that with us? Yeah, sure. So um, as you said, uh, right at the beginning, I've been involved with kind of big um, festivals and conferences and different things over the years. And it was actually in the summer of 2014, I was speaking at one of those festivals and the Lord began to talk to me about a move of God that was coming. And um, shall I go ahead and tell the story of what happened? Yeah, do it. Go for it. So to cut a long story short, I was in the in the worship um, in this huge, massive venue. And, and in the worship, I had what I would call a prophetic experience where I felt like I was being caught up out of myself. And I almost felt like I was flying right up high, up through the atmosphere, up into the heavens. I was taken into a vision. And in the vision, I saw almost myself being suspended above kind of the universe with, but by the Lord and his kind of finger and thumb just holding my head with my feet tangling down like this, you know, and I was kind of just there going, oh, my goodness, what on earth is the Lord showing me? And as I was there, I, I, I heard the Lord say to me, look to the left. So I looked to the left and I saw that not only was my head between his um, finger and thumb, but also there was a musical string. And this musical string was running all the way down. And, and the Lord said, look at it. And as I looked down the musical string, I could see where the string had been plucked. I could see all the way down through all the different ages of time. I, I mean, I could have listed them out to you all the way back to the beginning of creation. And, and at moments I could see where the hand of God had come and plucked this musical string and a sound had been released that had resonated out around the world. And it was at moments of like the Wesley revival or the kind of William and Catherine Booth revival or the Welsh revival or whatever it was. And, and I could see these moments in time where this sound had been released. And I simply heard the Lord say to me, it's time for the ancient sound to be released once again. And then all of a sudden the vision was over. My heart was, was pounding and I could just, I was overcome by the presence of the Lord. And I went to talk to a, an amazing friend of mine who's a, who's a really good, I mean, brilliant actually theologian to sort of say, can you help me get some kind of biblical context to this? What, what does the ancient sound even mean? And, and he began to talk me through a whole process after well, it probably took a few months, about three months, and discovering the kind of most ancient biblical sound and the scriptures that that related to. And everything seemed to point to Isaiah 61, which, as we know, everyone knows that scripture, the year of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and see the prisoner set free. And, and so it goes on and to restore the ancient cities and the desolate places. And, uh, and at that point, I, I, I kind of, I guess the, the belief really began to grow in me that we're about to see another move of God. I then flew back to Uganda. And again, to cut a long story short, a, a couple of months of, of being back in Africa after that experience, I was woken up one night by an audible voice um, that just said to me, do you want to see another one? I knew it was the voice of Jesus but I didn't know what he was talking about. And I just responded, do I want to see another what? 
you know, because I wanted to be careful with my response. And uh, he didn't reply and I fell back to sleep. It happened three nights in a row. On the third night, again, I heard it woke me up, this audible voice, do you want to see another one? And again, I responded, do I want to see another what? And I heard the Lord say, do you want to see another social and spiritual reformation take place in the UK as in the days of William and Catherine Booth and John Wesley? And of course, my answer was, yes, I do. And then the Lord said, then I want you to return to the UK and take your small part in that process. And so that was actually why we began to look at handing over the day-to-day running of what was taking place in Africa and moving to the UK to begin to really have our feet back on the soil here and, and to pray for our nation and to pray for this move of God that we believed it was yeah. coming. Isn't, isn't, I mean, I'm massively encouraged by that. And uh, we only kind of uh, met each other um, in the last, well, it's not even been a year yet. So, And I was saying to Esther this morning, isn't it interesting in what's been quite a tumultuous season how the Lord has speedily joined hearts and relationships. And then as we've met people, yourself being one of them, that this sense of things that God has been saying to uh, myself or Esther, he's been saying to others, and now we're finding each other. And it's not really finding each other, it's God's divine poetry and artistry at work. Um, It's interesting, in 2016, I was speaking for a church up north and ministered there, and during the worship, the Lord tracked me through John Wesley's kind of, uh, I'd, I'd worked through his journals not long before that, uh, and uh, just took me through his timeline and all of the Methodist churches that have been planted because of it. And then in, in the same encounter in this worship service, uh, did exactly the same with William and Catherine Booth and what they did. And then the Lord said to me, I want to do it again. But it felt like a divine invitation, like I'm inviting you to join me. So me hearing you speak about what God said to you, and it'd be interesting. I think the timeframes may even have been very similar. That was 2016 for me in terms of God saying that they don't have to be similar. I'm just, it's interesting the Lord saying, I'm about to do something again. I'm inviting you into this journey. And one of the things that the Lord said to me in that moment was, Uh, to plant churches in every major town and city of the United Kingdom and of Europe. Uh, And I see ourselves as a small little ministry in Wolverhampton at that time. And it was like, in the encounter, I felt like it was the most logical next step. And yet when I woke up the next morning, it was like, that is crazy. There's no way we can do that unless it's a move of God. So that's been encouraging for me. Happy for you to kind of respond back to that if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is really interesting. Like you say, we've really only crossed paths and, and begun to really kind of journey and build together in, in less than a year. But it is, it, it's so encouraging and it's so extraordinary when you begin to meet people who are, are hearing the same thing. Um, for, for us, I, the Lord began as soon as we arrived in the UK, which was um, in 2015, the Lord began to talk to me and say, you know, you're, you're going to see churches planted in every city, in cities around the world. That's what he said, in, in cities around the world. 
And I'm like, but what? Because it just blows your mind, doesn't it? You're like, well, how's that even possible? We're a tiny little ministry tucked away in a corner of Kampala um, and a little bit in Kenya. You know, how are we going to see churches established in, in cities all over the world? And another thing that I, I heard the Lord say one day, I mean, as clear as anything, I was just minding my own business. You know how you are sometimes just walking around my house. I was actually doing housework and the Lord just spoke and cut into my day and said, I want you to work out how to raise up a hundred thousand worshipping missionaries and send them out around the world and I kind of just stopped dead in my tracks my lord that's so ridiculous I mean it's so ridiculously not possible in the natural with the very limited resources that we have and and the size that we are and so you know you have these cities all over the world and a hundred thousand worshipping missionaries might what even is a worshipping missionary I've never heard that phrase before but these kind of I don't know, these things that the Lord has dropped in our hearts. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so encouraging, isn't it? When you start to join yeah. other people who the Lord yeah. is saying the same thing to, and you begin to go, oh, it's not really about me. It's about a coming together of many of us and pulling our kind of gifts and skills and resources and wisdom and beginning to see God move in the midst of that coming together. And then, you know, seeing the impossible happen. I think in, t- in 2000, I mean, just the, again, the, the similarities of this. I was sitting in a devotion in a staff meeting and there's a missionary, there's 10 of us or 12 of us and this missionary sharing some of their experiences. As they started speaking, I, I kind of zoned out, but it was, a, I don't know what to call it. It was the Lord speaking to me really strongly and reminding me, I've always had a fascination with mission history. So whether it's uh, William Carey or C.T. Studd or Hudson Taylor, I've, I've kind of had this fascination and read their biographies. And I felt the Lord saying to me, this is in 2000, you will be involved in another missionary wave, ascending movement from the UK to the nations of the world. And for the the three or four years after that, it kind of lived in me a lot. I did more study around it. I prayed into it. And then being involved in church life, it kind of got put on pause. And then uh, over the last year or so, it's been going off in me. And there's been this maybe two, two, three years ago, the Lord saying about a revival in our universities. And out of that, people from universities going to the nations again. So we don't see the whole picture, but it's interesting as we see our part and then the Lord pulls us together. Um, I, I, I really do believe we're on the cusp of um, beginning to see the unfolding of those events. And I think even today, um, my wife Esther woke up this morning uh, with this really strong sense of a, a, a wave of missionaries. And she said to me, I'm not going to do it justice. It was only this morning. She, We've been to Disney and in Disney, they have this wave machine. And uh, it's, it's a huge place. And the, the wave machine, you hear a bang, like it's a massive thud. And then a few seconds later, the wave starts at the far end. And the anticipation as the wave starts, and then it rolls out and it's uncontrollable. And, and she was saying, she said, I see us being involved in the UK, that there'll be a divine thud that we're cooperating with, and it will go a thud, and then a wave goes out of missionaries, and then a thud and a wave goes out of missionaries. And so, I don't know, we're living with this, and guess maybe even some people listening to this, they're going to resonate with the sense of the call of God upon their lives, the sense of giving themselves to something bigger than a, a Western you know, live my life, 2.5 kids, get a pension together, have a retirement plan, play it safe, work nine to five. And the Lord is saying, now I have an adventure for you that's risky, 
It's crazy, but it plays into his, his end time story and unfolding plan. So I know we, we could talk more about that. Uh, one of the key things I wanted you to kind of speak into um, was this piece around the poor and revival. So we've had some conversations around this and you carry, I, I guess, both a prophetic sense, but also a, a real heart burden for the connection of those two pieces. So I would just love for you to share with those listening and watching today uh, what your sense is about the poor and the coming move of God. Yeah. Oh, it's where to start, really. I think, I think for us, when we first arrived in Uganda and began to discover the realities of life for the poor there in the slum communities, we were, we were profoundly impacted by, um, by the complexity of poverty, but also the vastness of poverty. You know, poverty, as we know, is not just about money, that you it's about many, many things. And but we began to realize that that mission and and church and so many things that we'd made very, very complicated in the Western kind of ministry world that we were in, and even, you know, the gospel that we preached or whatever it was, we'd made things very, very complicated. And then taken those things, we'd arrived in Africa and tried to translate them across to the poor and the very simplistic lifestyle that they were kind of living and going, somehow these things don't match up. And it really, it, it kind of propelled us into this whole journey of, of reassessing what is the gospel and what is church and who is God raising up? And it began to deconstruct a whole load of ideas that we had. It's a very uncomfortable process, very painful process. And we began to realize that actually a lot of things that we called the gospel was really just um, tradition and our Western expression. And so we had to do a whole load of unpicking of things really. And and really early on in our in our work in Uganda, we had nothing, we had no money, we had no team, we had no resources. We, I mean, we literally had just packed up and gone as an instant act of obedience. And the Lord just began to talk to us about, well, what have you got in your hands? You know, it's that kind of silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus. And so we just began to hang out with the poor and and become part of their community, to live amongst them, to, to eat with them, to do life with them and, 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 and love people to the best of our ability, whatever we had in any given moment and to pray for them. And, and we soon discovered that as, as, you, as you practically begin to love the poor, they very quickly want to know more about the one who's behind the act of love, the one who is love himself. Um, and if I'm honest, it totally took us by surprise because we saw hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith so quickly, which we weren't prepared for. We had just gone to love and serve. We didn't we hadn't gone to save souls, you know, and but it, it, it was just an instant byproduct. It was beautiful. And that's how we ended up planting churches. But in the midst of that, we began to realize that that our mindset towards the poor had to shift and 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 come into alignment with God's mindset of the for the poor how he sees people and again we were deeply and uncomfortably and profoundly challenged in our um, attitudes and assumptions and ways that we'd been thinking with regards to to all of it 
I'm not sure I'm saying that very well. It was just very uncomfortable. And, and so our prayer began to be, God, help us to see people like you see them. Help us to see the gold that's hidden in the dirt. You know, help us to um, discover the beauty of these lives and the power of you in these lives, despite poverty, because poverty doesn't define who we are. Only Jesus gets to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so we began to look at, well, how do we raise up people from the margins, people from the slum communities, those who've never received an education, not because they're not intelligent enough to do so, but because they've never had the opportunity. But how do we, how do we come alongside those people and say, I see the potential in you. I see the God-given beauty of your life and the things that he built in you when he created and formed you in your mother's womb. And how do we help walk life by the side of those people and draw those things out and see them released to be the, the men and women that they were always destined to be. And, and we quickly discovered that the very best people to minister to the poor are the poor. The best people to minister to the addict are people who are exiting addiction. The best people to work with women who are in prostitution are women who have exited the sex industry because there's, a, there's an understanding, compassion and an empathy that they have that I could never have. And so it began to shift our whole mindset and, and we began to realize that we have to work out how those who were once our mission become the missionary. How do we raise and release quickly? Rescue, raise and release. And, and, and get that process up and running. And, and I think my conviction out of the back of that and seeing the beauty of that, I mean, it's messy sometimes and it's crazy and it's chaotic. You know, all of our churches are led by slum dwellers. Some of them haven't been saved that long. It's, it's, it's messy, but it's very beautiful and it's incredibly powerful. And um, yeah, it's challenged the way that I, that I look at everything that we do, actually. And the scripture that I come back to time and time again, and which I actually believe will be a hallmark of the move of God that we're going to see take place is 1 Corinthians 1. If you read it in the message when it talks about, I don't see many of, you know, the brightest and the most, um, like the, the richest and the brightest amongst you. But isn't it obvious that God takes those that... Um, that society kind of overlooks, exploits and abuses. And he takes these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Isn't it interesting that in historic revivals, I mean, by revival, I don't mean a, a, a series of meetings where the presence of God is very strong, but revival that is transformational in society, that it, it's always been deeply impacting of the poor or the marginalized or the forgotten those who are considered, they haven't got a lot to give to society, and yet the Lord moves there, raises them up. So John Wesley and the Methodist movement was primarily moving amongst those who were forgotten by society, marginalized, weren't welcomed in church, uh, in the established church, because they didn't have the clothes to wear, they didn't have the education. Uh, so they were illiterate to kind of Christianity, and yet God moved there in Methodism. And the same with William and Catherine Booth in the Salvation Army. And I, I know our conviction is that he's going to do the same again. And so even on our council estates, our rough areas, uh, there's been this mass migration of people into Europe. And I think there's a lot of um, disadvantage. There's a lot of issues and problems and yet those might become the very hot spots of revival and and I, i'm just sensing the lord kind of saying we have to as those who have been walking with christ a while 
this deconstruction of our thinking uh, of, of church and of people and how God does what he does, how long it takes to get somebody ready to serve God. All of that, I think it's just being held in tension right now. And the Lord, some of it's going to dissolve and we, we, we're going to have to think outside of the parameters like you said you had to do in Africa. I think it's going to be something for many of us wrestling with. I know uh, just under two years ago, the Lord said to me, you're about to go through the greatest season of unlearning you've ever been through. And it really has been that, this sense of, man, I thought I knew how certain things worked. And all of those paradigms are being shifted and transformed. Uh, and uh, some of that's massively offensive to me. I'm like, no, you can't do that. It's it's really uncomfortable. And, and I say all of that to say, I think if we can't adapt, then the Lord will work outside of the current structures and current people. He wants to welcome us in, but if we won't move with him and see what he can do, how he wants to do it, who he wants to use, then I, I think we might just find ourselves looking in from the outside at something very exciting that God's doing, but not being a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Lord has been saying to me over and over again, really, I'm, I'm, I'm stripping everything back. I'm taking you back to simple church, simple gospel, simple mission. Yep. And and when, it, when I first heard the Lord saying those things, I you know, felt quite exciting and like, well, there's going to be some change. But actually, it profoundly challenges things that we put so much value in. And we do mm. like things to be sophisticated. We just do. And in and, and many of our practices, and our churches and our systems and our structures, we have become very sophisticated and things are very nice and shiny and big and all those kind of things. But um, so it's uncomfortable, but I feel like the Lord is, um, he's stripping it all back. And, and in some ways, although I do not believe that the Lord brought COVID, COVID in itself has been helpful in us walking that process because it's forced us, hasn't it, yeah. as a church, as believers to confront some of these issues and allow some things to die that probably needed to ready for the yeah. move of God. That's about that's Yeah, about. Uh, Our activities were stopped. Uh, many of us started to rethink why are we doing what we're doing? Is it working? I know some churches have closed permanently, uh, both in the US and the UK. There's predictions many won't open again. Um, and for those who have prophetic ears to hear, not pragmatic, I know there's an adaptation to, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll go online a little bit, we'll do this. That isn't prophetic adaptation. That's a pragmatic approach to what we're living in. And what God, I think, is leading us into two things, both being prophetic, in other words, listening and hearing the spirit, and then secondly, a restoration of childlikeness that says, with all of our learning, we're not going to be led by our learning. We're going to be led not by human wisdom, but by spiritual wisdom. It's still wise and it, there's still smarts there, but there's spiritual smarts and spiritual wisdom, which is very different to human wisdom. And a, a little pet peeve of mine over the last two or three weeks in particular, the Lord's been saying to me is that there has been an idolatry in the church, an idolatry of leadership leadership books and leadership principles and leadership podcasts. And I'm not against them. I think there's much wisdom we can learn and things that can help us, but it's been elevated way beyond what the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Lordship of Jesus, uh, training our ears, spiritual ears and eyes to see what God is doing. So I'm not against leadership per se. I'm just against it being elevated beyond 
um, the spirit's leading and this childlikeness in the way that we live. Um, so as we draw our conversation almost towards a close, I should have said this right at the beginning in the introduction, but um, yourself and Simon uh, involved with us now as this All Nations movement piece and together there's a number of us, I think there's nine or ten of us on the team, uh, many of us involved in different aspects, but this sense of joining and coming together um, maybe just from your perspective, what you're seeing, and, and you could speak about the All Nations movement. I know that there are other apostolic families rising as well. So in no way do I see it as an exclusive thing. In fact, I, I would say there are many, the, the harvest is going to be so great in the days ahead of us that the Lord's invitation is to many. Now, not everybody will say yes to the Lord. Um, but there are many that are being invited to be part of the in-gathering, both the ushering in of a move of God and the in-gathering that's coming. Um, but maybe some of your experience, Nicola, uh, within, for us as a uh, All Nations Movement family, what you're sensing about the fivefold working together. And I might kind of, um, uh, kind of butt into the conversation as well, if that's okay. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's been an, an absolute joy to have been journeying with our All Nations family for the last, gosh, nine months or so. Um, I, I, for me personally, I felt the Lord say to me in January last year, this is going to be a year where I'm going to make godly alignments for you. That will be um, like a coming together of people of like heart that will propel you all further into the vision and quicker into the vision that I've laid on each of your hearts. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And then you know we we began to um, get to know each other and 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 like we as every life and myself became involved in the All Nations movement family and I think what I found there is is a group of men and women who as I've already said have heard the Lord speak in similar ways have a a similar conviction have similar DNA a heart to see you know, a move of God that touches every sphere of society, you know, a social and a spiritual reformation, if we want to use that language, but that cares for people in the here and now as well as in the eternal. And um, and are coming together around this kind of desire to see this new thing that God is going to do, a new way of church, a new way of mission, whatever that looks like, um, and to explore that together, to challenge each other, to share ideas, to share wisdom. And actually, to encourage and strengthen each other, and I've, I've, it's been, it's been just the biggest blessing for for myself and for every life this this last year to be a part of what All Nations is doing. Um, I think it's incredibly exciting to see what this coming together could unlock, um, yeah. you know, amongst us and in in the nation and and to the nations i know many of us on the team have have similar you know um convictions there's going to be a move of god that comes out of the uk through europe and and, and affects into the us and, and the wider world and 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 i really do I, I you know i feel like i can the stirrings of that are beginning to really bubble up in me and and my conviction deepening i think you know as leaders we need other leaders. We need family. We need we need accountability. We need friendship. We need shared wisdom, and and we need we all we all have a, a need for a sense of belonging, don't we? And and so, 
really just it's a joy to see how it's beginning to work, how our team for the movement is beginning to really flow relationally, but also in the different gifts. You know, some of us are apostolic, some of us are prophetic, some of us have teaching gifts, some of us have evangelistic gifts. You know, all the different things are all represented in that in that coming together and, and drawing on each other's strengths and letting people kind of take the lead at the right moment because it, it fits who they are for that moment in time. And then us sitting back and learning from that person, all of it. It's, it's, it's beautiful and um, yeah, and exciting. I mean, uh, Esther and I have been just as excited, I guess, as yourself and others on the team. Um, it, it, I said to Esther this morning, it's been just wonderfully, both strange, encouraging how God can join hearts and yeah. knit them together and, and using technology to do it. It would have been a lot slower process if we'd only been trying to meet physically once every kind of two months or something or once every month. And yet we found ourselves interacting because of being thrown into kind of video conferencing. And, and then there's a spiritual dynamic of, oh, that was in your story. That's in our story. That's what God said to you. That's what God said to us. And the discovering. And I really do love God's artistry or architecture or poetry, whatever we call it. Nobody else can do what he does. He just as we kind of let go and relax into his leading, he kind of knits these things together. And I, I mean, just to whet people's appetite as they're listening to this, we see a kind of a working together of the fivefold ministry gifts, and we actually see multiple teams into the future. We're living with this piece around revival, but also in preparation for the harvest that will result in then the, the resulting harvest that will come. How do we church plant? How do we raise up these missionaries? How do we train people? I know we're looking at the All Nations Leadership College, a portal of training that can be used anywhere in the world in different languages. Uh, I'm just kind of whetting people's appetite that we're a family on a movement together in a childlike way, deferring to one, each, one another's gifts to say, Lord, we really do want to be a part of what your story is. We want to be caught up into your story. We're not trying to emphasize our part of the story. We, we'd rather get lost up into the mission of God. And, and maybe even for those who are listening and, and watching to start exploring the new of what God is saying and doing. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I say all of that, Sam, I'm deeply excited. Um, and very grateful for the part that you see and what you bring. Uh, in, in closing, Nicola, just I, I would love for people to know how they can connect with you. I know you've written um, uh, 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 books as well. So if, if you want to uh, tell people about any of those and how they can connect with you, that would be wonderful. And then my very last question is going to be after you've just done that is, is there a closing word that you'd like to leave people with? Something that might just encourage them what they can think about something that the Lord may have said to you in the last few days or. Sure. Yeah. If you want to uh, know more about what we're doing as every life, then you can go to our, our website, which is everylife.org.uk. Um, I have written two books. One of them is called journey into love, which is actually the story of how we kind of moved to Africa and, and how our ministry began and what we saw through just, the simplicity of love in action. So if you like stories and want to hear a bit more of our story, but also 
some really amazing miracle stories of what the power of the love of God can do, then that's a great book to read. And then the other book I've written is called Gold, which really tracks along the whole thing that I've been talking about, about we all have this God-given potential, but it sometimes get we just call it gold at every life, but it sometimes gets buried by the dirt of life, poverty, circumstance, and how we're called really just to walk life with each other and life with the poor and help mine for that gold. So yeah, you can read those, you can buy those two books on Amazon. Um, yeah, what am I sensing the Lord saying? Oh gosh, so many things. Talk to us about the Holy Spirit, maybe that, because I know that's so alive in you at the moment. I'm a spiritual daughter of John and Carol Arnold. I've been trained, you know, by them in sort of a life of pursuit of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, that's been a real huge passion of mine and, and, and a pursuit probably for the last 15 years, a life of knowing him and, and, and a life of being fully yielded to him in obedience. And uh, I, I love Catherine Coleman, the teachings of Catherine Coleman. I think that she is someone who embodies what it really meant to live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit at huge personal cost to her, yet unto incredible kingdom fruit. And um, and I and I love her journey. And I guess what I, when I was watching a video, I did send it to you, didn't I, Steve, recently, and um, where Catherine is talking about that very thing. And she said how she's seeking to live her life unaware of the thrones out there, but instead just led by the spirit of God. And I think that really is what the Lord is talking to my heart about. It's a lot of what he's talking to us as all nations about. It's that whole thing of in this season of preparation for what is coming, we do need to learn how to go low. We need to learn how to position ourselves correctly before the Lord in utter surrender and being totally yielded to him, vessels that are just like, here I am, take full possession of me in my life have controlling rights to my life let me just be used for your glory and for your kingdom and it's it's that position that then opens up the way I believe for Holy Spirit to come and to take possession and to begin to move and I, and I think my growing conviction is it's as we all begin to learn how to lay our lives down before him that that we will create um, a carpet of kind of laid down lovers, you know, a laid down people who the Lord can then walk out upon and we'll, and we'll see him come and move in power. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. I know that's our conversation a lot. Humility, dead to self, uh, dead to platform, uh, dead to profile, all the things that are so pulling on our culture today, but there's an army of dead people coming up who are going to carry the greatest authority, greatest weight that comes from the humility walking out in the fear of the Lord. So love that. And I'm hoping it's resonating with people as they've been watching today. Nicola, thank you so much for joining me, sharing some of your life. And I do look forward to welcoming you back into series two when we do that. So thank you so much for being with me today. One of our main life messages is to rouse the warriors, a militant army that God is raising on the earth today. I am so pleased to announce we now have a e-course, video e-course to accompany the book. It's available at steveopple.com.